0: You know, every time we gather together for worship, any particular Sunday, Wednesday night, Tuesday afternoon that you gather together for worship and you hear the saints singing, Holy, Holy God Almighty. It's a, it's a glimpse. It's not the full picture. But it is a glimpse of what we look forward to for all of eternity in heaven. And it's a beautiful, beautiful reason why the church gathers together. I'm so thankful to be gathered together for worship with you And I want to continue worshiping by opening up God's Word in the book of Genesis. So this morning, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open up to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 11 this morning, Genesis chapter 11. We're wrapping up our series, uh, Redeeming Genesis. And we call this Redeeming Genesis for two reasons. One, because we're, we're very aware that it's easy to take the stories at the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1-11, through 11, and reduce them to a Sunday school lesson that always has a happy ending and puts a nice little application and bow on it. And, and I, the illustration I use is flannel graph. I, I saw uh, somebody post something uh, from like Church Funnies on Facebook. or It said, tell me you grew up going to church without telling me you grew up going to church. And all I could think of was... I know what flannel graph is. You know, that is a clue. We learned it in Sunday school when we were yay big. And this is what our stories are. It's the big giant ark with a giraffe head sticking out. Um, It's Adam and Eve eating a piece of fruit and and having cute little leaves to cover them. And, And we're reminded that the book of Genesis, especially these first 11 chapters, is a lot of raw discussion about sin and death and redemption. And so we want to redeem it from the Sunday School coloring page and remind ourselves that God is laying a foundation of theology in these 11 chapters that is is needed to understand for the entire rest of God's Word. But we also call it Redeeming Genesis because, while we tend to think of the sin and the fall and all the the death and the the reality of Genesis 1-11, through we're reminded that there is a message of redemption woven completely throughout These 11 chapters, so much so that you can't possibly even read a chapter without seeing God redeeming his people or showing how he will redeem his people in these these 11 chapters. And so this morning, we're going to be in chapter 11. Uh, Ignore the Genesis 8 on the bottom of that. That didn't get changed. I apologize if you're watching the screens or watching online. We're in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9 this morning. And I want to read it for us. And as we read it, uh, I hope that you'll approach it as the truth of God's word. As a matter of fact, before we read it, can we remind ourselves of these statements? If you agree with these statements, would you repeat after me? The Bible is the word of God. What it teaches, I will believe. What it commands, I will obey. And when it convicts, I will change. Let's read the word of God together in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone, and they used tar for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower, whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built and the lord said behold they are one people and they have all they all have the same language and this is what they begin to do and now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them come let us go down there and, and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech so the lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. As we read the story of the Tower of Babel, it's easy to, to, again, think of it as a minor place in, in the book of Genesis. It's a fun story. We actually had a a vacation Bible school that was themed around the Tower of Babel. We had an awesome tower up here. Dory's laughing because she put a lot of work into that tower. Um, It it was an amazing picture of... (laughs) Aaron's going, I painted those bricks by hand, every last one of them. We had an amazing scene for the Tower of Babel, and it's easy to get the picture of of a constructed tower in here, or a flannel graph, or a, a blip in the book of Genesis, and think... It's a nice story. Now we know why we speak different languages. So, the purpose of Genesis chapter 11 is not primarily to teach us where all the languages came from, but it's to teach us the story of God's redemption. It's to remind us that God has a purpose for us that we are not meeting, and God is going to make sure humanity is on the right track to meet the purpose of His creation. And so we read in the Tower of Babel, and we should be reminded of several commands that we've read so far in Genesis 1 through 11. Namely, when God creates Adam and Eve, back in the Garden of Eden, He says to do what? Be fruitful and multiply That's your job, Adam and Eve. You're to fill the whole earth. Have children, and they'll have children, and they'll have children. Grandchildren, -grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren, so that you will spread around the entire globe. That way, every part of my creation will be used by humanity to bring God glory. This is his purpose in Genesis chapter 3, or Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2. And then Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve mess it up, right? They rebel against it and they decide, we know better than God. I know your purpose is this, but God, I want to purpose that. And they, they fall into sin and, and that wrecks their plan. As a matter of fact, they start to fill the earth. Right? They have a couple of children to start with, Cain and Abel, and instead of them multiplying and filling the earth, one of them kills the other one. An inversion of what God commanded. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And so we see they become increasingly wicked, and then the story repeats itself again. We get to the flood. In the flood, they're so wicked that God, God condemns humanity in a flood, right? Saves Noah and his family. And when Noah gets off the ark, what does God command him to do? Be fruitful and multiply and scatter and fill the whole earth. Here's the command again. God says, I have a purpose so that every corner of the earth will have humanity to bear my image and bring me glory. Go and fill the earth. And yet we have, again, a Genesis chapter 3 account in the Tower of Babel. It's humanity saying, I know what your command is, God, but I think we've got a better plan. So the people gather together to, to build a city. And yet again, they've not learned from the fall. They've not learned from the flood. They've not learned from their ancestors, even Noah's own wickedness and sinfulness that I told you to read about last week. They've not learned any of that. God actually admits when they get off the boat, I still see that the heart of man is wicked. Everything they do, everything they purpose to do is evil. We've not learned our lesson. So as we approach Genesis chapter 11, the first thing we recognize is the stubbornness of man. I should have put humanity, because I know some of you wives are elbowing your husbands right now. I told you all men are stubborn. But this is really the stubbornness of people, right? It's humanity, who never seems to learn. If you're looking at themes all throughout the Bible, this has got to be one of the most obvious themes all throughout Scripture. That humanity messes up, sins against God, falls on their face, God redeems them, and you would think they would celebrate, thank you, God, and instead, they fall again. They go back to their sin again. I want to be perfectly clear. Building a city and building a tower, not sinful. Just so we're understanding, their sin wasn't the fact that they wanted to build something. We actually read about earlier that, that Cain went about building cities As an aside, that actually was a a command against what God told him to do as well. God said, go wander around. And he said, no, I think I'll build a city. Man is so stubborn. But God did not condemn the building of cities and, and the building of structures. What God commanded was to fill the whole earth. And the attitude of the people as they approach Shinar is not one of fulfilling God's command to scatter. But instead, let us... Let us gather so that we don't have to scatter. As a matter of fact, if we don't build something to hold us together, we're likely to go and scatter across the face of the earth. They viewed God's command no longer as something good, but as something bad. They've never learned. Look again at verse 4. They said, come, let us build a city. Uh, Let us build for ourselves a city and and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make ourselves a name, otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Just think of the arrogance in this verse and in this statement. Think about after all the world has been through and and the stories that have now been passed down from generation to generation, the people gather together, they know the command is to scatter, to bring God glory to every corner of the earth, and what is their thought process? Let's stop Build a city for who? Ourselves. Let's build us a city. Let's give ourselves protection. Let's do this for us. And let's build a tower that will reach to the top of heaven. We'll reach up into the heavens so that we will be elevated, so that we will be something above what we are currently at. It's this idea that that God's command is bad and our command is better. Let's make ourselves God. Before we look at the Old Testament and see their idolatry and see their sinfulness, before you read this verse up here and go, man, those people are extremely dense, can I tell you, that's what I do every time I sin. As I look at God and I say, I know your plan and your will for me is, but I think I know better. I think I'll be my God today. Every time we sin, we stubbornly think that somehow we deserve to be at the top of the tower, up to the heavens. We deserve to be the one to make the decisions for our own lives. Can I tell you a word that our society throws around that is oh so dangerous? And that is personal autonomy. Oh my goodness, this is maybe one of the scariest words, so much so that I've almost stopped referencing it to, to our own church, which by the way, as Baptists, we are autonomous church. It's actually in our members class. You'll learn about it. We, we decide based on God's word. We don't have outside, but this word becomes so dangerous because we've used it as a society to say, I get to make decisions for what's right or wrong for me, right? I get to decide whether or not I sin or not. I get to decide what gender I'm going to be. I get to decide who I love. I get to decide what to do with my unborn child. I get to decide because I'm the one in charge, And our society has pushed down our throat the ideas of the Tower of Babel. Let us make ourselves a tower. Let us build a city and let us be the ones up in the heavens. Humanity was stubborn in Genesis chapter 11. But can I tell you, we, and I include all of us in here, in our own flesh, apart from the Spirit of God, we are extremely stubborn people. We sit here and we think we know better than God. This is a theme repeated over and over and over again. Man is so thick-headed and stubborn. I am so thick-headed and stubborn. You are so thick-headed and stubborn that we find ourselves in the exact place that God tried to protect us from. He banished Adam and Eve out of the garden so they wouldn't eat the tree of life. They wouldn't be stuck in their sin forever. He rescues Noah out of the water so that they could be protected from the the chaos that surrounds them. And, And now he's screaming and desiring for us to be obedient, to follow him and not ourselves because his purpose is so much greater. And yet, over and over and over again, we build a tower for ourselves. Can we be reminded this morning, as stubborn as we are in our sins, and we are stubborn, as stubborn as we are in our sins, our sinful lifestyle is ultimately meaningless. Look in this chapter about the futility of their sin. Where does their sin get them? Now, you may be reading it, and the first verse that kind of pops into my head is verse 6. God acknowledges that he's created man in his image, and therefore there is some strength in that. The Lord said in verse 6, Behold, they're one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they begin to do, this sin. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. It doesn't sound like sin is so futile right here, does it? It sounds like God is acknowledging that because we're image bearers and he has given us a leash, we have the right and the autonomy to choose sinful, destructive lifestyles for ourselves. And we often, not often, always do. God's voice acknowledges in their state, nothing will be impossible. The amount of sin is limitless. But the reason why I say sin is futile Is because it appears to me that they they did, indeed, build the tower. I don't think they finished the city, but it talks about God coming down to see the tower which they had built. And look with me in verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, I'm going to read that one more time and see if you catch the futility of their sin. Okay? The Lord came down to see the city in the tower which the sons of men had built. What was the goal of their tower? To be as high as God. And as high as they could build that tower, what did God do when he saw it? He came down. We build ourselves up in our own sin and our selfishness. We can do this. We're great. We can be like God. We can be better than God. We can build our own towers, make our own decisions. We can do all that we want to do, and our sin can grow infinitely. And yet, in all of our sin, all of our trying to be God, all of our decisions to be selfish in our own, God looks at us, and in order to talk to us, no matter how high we build it, God still must come down to our level. I want to tell you, the sinful lifestyle that we long for and think is so appealing will never live up to what the promise is. The idea that you could make your own decisions and be your own God, you can do it till you're blue in the face, and according to verse 6, God acknowledges the amount of your sin has no limits, but you'll never be God. You will never be almighty. Your sinful lifestyle can, can get you some Some bricks, but can never deliver on its promise. Sin is futile. It means nothing to God. He looks at it and he says, Build your biggest. And God still comes down. We're reminded that God's purposes are so much better than our purposes. God's will for our life is so much better than our will for our lives. But we try to, to make everything line up the way we want it to. And God says, if you would just walk where I tell you to walk. I've just started reading to Josiah. Actually, we just got through one chapter. Uh, a summary, a shortened version of Pilgrim's Progress. It's actually based on, it's like two or three translations through. It's shortened and condensed and based off the cartoon that they did, but it's just a really powerful story. If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, I would suggest as an adult, read the full thing. As a child, get you a condensed version. In chapter one, as we we read it about two nights ago, you, you see a man Christian bearing his great burden, and evangelist comes and tells him this is the path to go on. Stick to this path. If you see the gate down that way, go to the gate. It's a long journey. Just trust me. Stick on the path. If you'll stick on the path, everything's fine. He has a couple of trials. He actually loses a friend, and, and he gets to a place where a man, Worldly Wiseman, comes. And Worldly Wiseman says, oh, I bet Evangelist told you to go on that path, didn't he? Yeah, he tells everybody to go on that path. It's hard. It, it's full of trials and troubles Can I tell you, there's a man up on this mountain. If you'll go see him, he can take your burden off. He'll set you up with a nice place to live. You can can bring your family with you. You can make a nice life for yourself. Everything that that you desire, you can have right here on this mountain. And for a brief time, Christian listens. You know what he found when he veered off the path? Was as hard as the path was, the mountain to get to this man was infinitely harder (laughs) The mountain's about to crash down on him, and he realizes leaving the path that God has set out for them never lives up to the promise. It's just as scary, more so and dangerous, to leave the path that God created us for because sin can never deliver on its promise. It's futile. So this morning we see us striving to make decisions, to be in control of our own lives, And God still says, I'm going to come down to your level. Notice, too, the, the punishment. The punishment that God gives them is not only punishment, but it's also corrective in nature. It's the correction of God. God had made a promise to Noah never to flood the whole earth again. I'm not going to destroy the world by means of flood. That was a very specific promise because we know at the end times when God calls his church home, eventually the old heaven and earth do pass away, do get destroyed and restored. And so there is going to be another worldwide destruction of sorts at the end times, but not by flood. God can choose any other method he so desires to reboot. And I've got to imagine... I'm sitting here going, it's just several generations ago. I had to start over with Noah. Can I find someone now to start over with again? Or at this point, let's just stop writing at Genesis 11 and call this a failed experiment because those stubborn people, and alive. They're never going to learn. Instead, God, God does something. Notice what he does. It, it certainly is a punishment. There, there's some confusion that comes with it, but, but it fulfills God's purpose. Notice that the punishment he gives wasn't just punitive, wasn't just condemning, but it is corrective. It puts the people back on the right track. It forces them to follow the will of God. Look in verse 8. The Lord confused their language and then scatters them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. I want to imagine the moment when the people are experiencing their new languages for the first time There's frustration, maybe hurt or anger. God, why would you do this? Apparently, there's a God up there who's messing with us. Why would God take my neighbor, who I love and care about? We were building this brick wall together, and now I can't even talk to him. Why, God, would you punish me the way he did? And and the answer is in verse 8. God's punishment was partly punishment, but more importantly, it was so that his purpose could be accomplished. The command is, be fruitful, multiply, scatter, and fill the earth. Because of this mix-up of languages, guess what God just did? He forced the people to scatter over the face of the earth. God takes our sin, he looks at it, and, and he is perfectly just to punish it with condemnation and death. And yet, time and time again, we read in Genesis chapter 3, we read in Genesis chapter 4, we read in in Genesis chapters 9 and 10, 8, 9 and and following. We we see God taking the sin of man and instead of condemnation he he offers corrective punishment. Don't, Don't forget the fact that one day God offers a final punishment for those who will not follow the path of correction of salvation through Jesus Christ. But in the moment I promise you that God's desire? Paul writes to Timothy, he tells God's desire is that all men be saved. And their stubbornness, and their wickedness, and their trial to get up to heaven. God's desire is not condemnation for you. God would love nothing more than for you to see his purpose in creation in your life. To acknowledge how our sin has broken that. And for us to throw our hands up and say, God, I want, I want to know you. I want to do what you called me to do. I want to be who you called me to be. This morning, is, as we think about our own stubbornness, as we think about the futility of our sin, can, can we remind ourselves of God's grace, His mercy, and His redemption? His desire is not to leave us continuing to make bricks with mud and build walls and towers and cities in sin. His desire is for us to turn to him and fulfill the purpose he created you to fulfill. So this morning, as we we think about God's redemption in Genesis chapter 11, we're reminded that no matter how sinful your life is, God's plan for you is salvation and redemption all the consequences that you're dealing with now. You say, God, why am I going through this? Lord, why is the burden so heavy? God, why is the punishment so strict? Every single bit of your life is pointing and screaming at God saying, I want to restore you. I want to redeem you. and I want to save you. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your, your redemption in the book of Genesis. Well, we are so, so stubborn and we confess to you that we love our sin because we love control. Lord, we build towers of sin. We we make ourselves gods and yet, Lord, as hard as we try to fulfill our lives with, with our own actions, our own attitudes, and Lord, our own sin, Lord, it's futile. We find ourselves lacking. So Lord, we come before you and we... Cast aside our own sinful pride, and we ask and beg and plead for the salvation that you give through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you so much that every bit of suffering in my life has called me to a place to to turn my eyes to you. And so, Lord, I come before you this morning and I ask for forgiveness. For salvation, Lord, I ask for redemption. Father, we pray for those in here who are wrestling right now with their own sinful lives, their own struggles and burdens. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to work on their heart and remind them of your great love, that they're created in your image to serve you and worship you. And Lord, you can redeem them this morning, right here in this sanctuary. Father, we pray that your spirit would move and that we would respond. It's in your name we pray. Amen.